0: Welcome back to another Advice episode of Ad Tempted, where we attempt to demystify advertising for those who want to break into it. I'm Chris.
1: I'm Sam. And I'm John. Today's Advice episode is a special one, mainly because we get to talk to a creative that isn't one of us.
0: Our special guest is a creative, a writer, educator, and a personal mentor. Jess McEwen. welcome to the show.
2: Hello hi thank you for having me this is exciting Ooh, for me it's exciting for us too <laughs> i'm in my windowless garage away from my uh, children so this is, this is like a paid vacation for me
1: well thank you for joining us we're happy that we can give you a little bit of a break but to start this off could you please just tell our listeners a little bit about yourself
2: I'm Jessica McKeown. Um I'm a senior creative copywriter. I'm born and raised in Los Angeles. I've got two kids, as I mentioned, so I have a full plate. And what else can I tell you about myself? Um, I'm uh, I'm an Aries. Um, I don't actually know what any of that means. I just know that some people like really care about that. I'm <laughs> I'm I'm the first day of Aries
3: too, so I think that's important.
2: Oh, and my big claim to fame that I like to tell people is I am a former classmate of Meghan Markle.
1: Wow. Oh, wow. Yeah. Are you still in touch?
2: No, unfortunately, but I do have like a very large paragraph in my yearbook from her one year. We did like, she did drama and I obviously she did drama and then I I did drama, but not as well. So we (laughs) we, we, like knew each other. I like daydream about running into her.
1: Oh, that's awesome. How did you get started in advertising?
2: I went to college um, for creative writing on the East Coast. And when I was done, I had no idea Really, what to do with that? I didn't have like the next great American novel inside of me, um, so I moved home. And my stepfather, at the time, was a producer of TV commercials, mm-hmm. and so he got me some jobs as a production assistant, which is total, you know, just like bitch work. But it was like pretty good money for someone fresh out of college. So, okay, and it was freelance, so I would have time off like when projects weren't happening. And so I kind of stuck with that for a long time, mostly because I was like getting paid decently. I didn't have to, like, get super dressed for work or be in a corporate environment. I could kind of make my own schedule. I did that for a while, but um I was kind of, like, production supervising towards the end. But I really did not like it. It is a lot of phone calls and budgets, and you're, like, the hub of everything. And I was, like, I would just watch what the people above me were doing, like, what were line producers doing. And it was so many, like, it was just, it was so many numbers and budgets and, like, overages and all this stuff and I just thought like god I don't have it in me plus you know it's a very grueling profession yeah so I was like looking around at like the agency on sets being like I mean I remember the job that I was doing I was on a job I was doing a Bank of America commercial and we were shooting in Fort Bragg in California which is like up near Mendocino it was just like miserable shoot where we were shooting like a fisherman and we had these like rain machine was freezing and i was like staying in a best western working in their lobby like every day until midnight and the by the time like i would get done working the only thing that would be open in town was a mcdonald's right like mcdonald's like 5 days in a row or something and then this one morning i had to run over to the agency's hotel to, like give them set up pre-pro books and i drove into town and it's just it's at a beautiful bed and breakfast in mendocino like i come in and they're, like the flowers are blooming and i'm it's this gorgeous like old victorian feeling home and i'm setting up the pre-pro books and the agency is coming down the stairs being like oh man dinner last night was so good like <laughs> where are we gonna eat tonight oh my god and i was like are you fucking kidding me <laughs> like And the whole, the the joke was, the whole time we were all working on this commercial, I kept saying, this script doesn't make any sense. Like, it
3: doesn't make (laughs) any sense.
2: I don't understand the the story of this script. And that was the first time that kind of, like, I, I felt like all of a sudden I was like, I could fucking do this, you know, like these guys don't even know what they're doing and look what they, look at the life they're living, you know? So I just started like noodling on that for a while. I was like, you know, I want to be a copywriter at an ad agency. But at the time, my view of it was very limited. I was like, I want to write commercials because that's what I know. Um, mm-hmm. I had no idea that that's not like a role. Like I'm the commercial copywriter. And also was, like, a little bit cocky. Like, I don't need to go to school for that. Like, I've been working in this industry for, like, the last 10 years. So I, like, wrote a bunch of scripts on my own thinking that would do something. um, And it didn't. People were, like, where is your book? Like, you need a book. Um, and that's when I literally one day Googled, like, Los Angeles portfolio school or whatever. um, Because I quickly learned most of the
3: portfolio schools were going to be, like,
2: $60,000 a year. I was going to have to move to, like... Atlanta or whatever, and I was I was older. I was like into my early thirties, and I was like, this is not I I'm not at that place in my life to fully uproot myself. So I found the bookshop. It you know meets at night. Um, I could keep working, and and that's what I did. And I kind of like set down that path. I did it in a couple of years, and then uh got a job uh working at RPA, where a lot of bookshoppers go, and started my career there. So that's the that's the long and the
1: short of it Uh, for our listeners who might not know what the bookshop is. Can you do a quick explanation?
2: Yeah. The bookshop is a, a portfolio school uh, for creatives, just like all you know, like Brand Center, Creative Circus, which is on its way out, Art Center, uh, Miami Ad School. But the difference is that it's here in LA where there are not many schools and it's not a full-time program like the other ones are. You kind of meet classes once a week and so you do a lot of your development outside of class and it's drastically more affordable than most of the other schools and, and it does really churn out some of the best creative in the business bookshop is is very heavy on concept i think a lot of schools will start like right off with like intense graphic design or execution but bookshop really puts an emphasis on developing concepts and insights which you know lead to much stronger creatives down the line i think
3: absolutely yeah. and
2: and yes and now i'm also a, a teacher there and i'm not dealing with, with two small children but yes i i've been
3: teaching there for a few years as well Nice,
1: very cool yeah, so, you know, looking around our virtual room that we have set up here, uh, you know, it's no secret that advertising is depicted kind of as this uh this boys club. So, do you think that has made it like harder for you to get into the industry and have you seen it change or ad- attempt to change over the years that you've been in the industry? It's
2: um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is a boys club. You know, the thing that I think if you if you dig a little bit deeper into that thought is People will say, like, for instance, when I worked at RPA, I think they said it was 50-50. Yeah. Which is great. But, however, what I saw there and what I see at a lot of places is tons of women working at the junior... Uh, let's just talk about creative, because other departments are other things. But, like, at the for creatives, you know, junior, men, and even senior level, you see a lot of women. Starts to drastically drop off at ACD, CD... And then particularly like ECD, GCD level, you know, really just like levels off. Like I, I think, I mean, at some of the places I've worked, it's like there there are no women above like an ACD level at all. Mm. Um and so that's, I think, one of the, like, the main issues. It's, it's not, it's not that it's hard to get your foot in the door. It's that it's hard to get to the top is it, really, like, the issue I think a lot of places are dealing with. And of course, like, I can only speak for my experience as a white cisgender woman. You know, I can't speak for what it's like for a black woman. I've worked places where there were like no black creatives at all in a large
0: Mm. creative
2: department. So that's like a different story.
0: Yeah. So you were talking a little bit about your own identity. And I want to get into that a little bit more. How has your identity shaped the way that you've sort of navigated the industry and you talked a little bit about growth, either on like a day to day basis, or more like holistically across the trajectory of your career?
2: I mean, when I think about it on a day to day basis, like something I think about is when I started as an intern and, you know, I was like an older intern, um, not like ancient, but not like 23, like a lot of the other ones. One thing that like, you know, I think we always we notice about male creatives um, is that, you know, there's no like dress code, very relaxed guys kind of like wear whatever. But it's not like Mad Men where we were like coming to suits, coming in, you know, Mm -hmm. suit every day. And so, something I was like very aware of as an intern and a junior was I was like, how am I presenting myself every day? I
3: refused
2: for like a, over a year. I did not wear a dress to work because I was like, I, this is like, it sounds like a weird thing, but something I was very aware of. I was like, I don't want to draw more attention to the fact that I am a woman. And also, I think there's a stereotype, too, that, like, in advertising, you'll see a lot of women in accounts Mm -hmm. or in production. And usually, typically, account people dress better than creatives because they're so client-facing. And so I was like, I don't want to ever look too nice. I don't want to look like an account person. So I would, like, literally come to work, like, kind of schlubby because I was like, I want to, you know, there's that joke, like, dress for the job you want, but it's supposed to be, like, wear a suit, you know? But in my case, it was, like, dress for the job you want, so I'm going to, like, wear ripped jeans and, like, look like all the other guys. And, and that's just, like, a subtle thing that I, I think about all the time, which I'm, like, that's
3: kind of sad, you know? That I
2: was, like, even in the yeah. way that I'm, like, dressing and showing up for work, um, not that I, like, I'm not super feminine anyway. It's not that I wanted to, like, be wearing these silly dresses all the time, but I was, like, I'm not going to wear a dress. Like, I don't want to... I want to blend in as much as I can. And I also didn't ever want to make myself look too attractive, to be honest, because I worked with other female interns who would come and dress, you know, to work super cute and they would get hit on. Mm. And I was like, I 100% do not want that at all. So I was like, I do not want to look too attractive, which I think is kind of like counterintuitive like someone who would be like i want to look cute at work i want you know i want to be attractive And i was like do not i do not want anyone looking at me like that at all because i know that the minute that you do that that your integrity is compromised so that's something that i i thought about a lot as well And those are just like day-to-day things i think I, I still probably deal with those a little bit I mean, additionally, which I haven't discussed is that, I mean, I I am married to a a woman. So that's like another layer for me is, you know, as like a a female gay creative who doesn't necessarily, I don't think that's the first thing people notice or think about me. I I can Mm -hmm. sort of, you know, pass. And so that was like another thing that I was always aware of too, is like, I don't, that's like another discussion I'm going to have to have with someone. If that, if that comes up, if someone's going to, you know, ask me out or want to like ask me, you know, do you have a boyfriend or something like that, which is our conversations I saw happening all the time. And then just the other stuff about when you're in a room with a lot of men, just thinking about how am I being perceived if I have a Strong reaction to something. Am I being too emotional? Am I being too bossy? Am I being too, whatever? Like these are the things that like think about all the time. That think that my male counterparts don't. And and I've had to really train myself a lot as I've been like moving up a little bit to not when I write emails. I like I'll write an email, and then I'll go back through it and I'll take out some of the parts that are me just trying to be like extra cheerful and extra helpful and just like make sure that my the real thing that I'm saying isn't getting lost
0: it sounds like finding how to present your voice to a room in a way that is for lack of a better term palatable to them is quite the obstacle do you have any advice or additional examples for those who may be in your position when they're in a room and they have a reaction to something that is said and they know it's not okay or they know it's not working
2: is also just personalities. Mm-hmm. I myself can tend to like not want to have a filter and to have strong reactions. So, I, I mean, for me personally, something I've just had to do, and and this is from watching like other higher level creatives, you know, is to just take a step back and have that reaction somewhere else. Like I I once had a creative director who I think saw me get like kind of upset in a meeting about something. And kind of, and had me come to their office later and was like, listen, you come here to vent and slip out. This is a safe space to do that. But like, let's not Mm -hmm. do it in the room with all these other people. I think that's just good advice, like period. Thoroughly like related to, you know, me being a woman, but I I do just have to, I've seen a lot of like creative directors who are men, the way Mm -hmm. that they present themselves would be like, hey, okay, what are we talking about here today? Okay all right, fix this. Okay, bye. You know, and I think if I were to do that, if I were to behave that way, people would say, what's wrong? Or she's rude. But it's almost like cool and serious for men to behave like that in some of um, uh, a Creative directors or high-level people, it, it means they like set up this this like persona where they are like a little bit untouchable, and I think a lot of the women that I work with tend to be like very friendly and very warm, and I think it gives them kind of less street cred.
1: You mentioned about the the going into a specific room to be very vocal about things. Um, are there any other ways that us or an agency can be supportive of the different identities?
2: I think it's very easy. To like ask yourself constantly, oh, like how would I approach the situation? How would you know? Am I comfortable with this situation? But like something I've learned is that you, I think you really do have to sometimes like ask other people what they want. Um, ask people what they're comfortable with. Um, ask mm-hmm. with people, you know, just say like, hey, from my perspective, do this what do other people in the room see or like what how do you look at this situation because I think a lot of times full however they might be a minority have different perspectives but they don't always feel empowered or welcome to share those perspectives and so having someone that is in a little bit more of a position of power even if you are not you know at a higher level but power of of being like a, a white man it's it's To invite in that other dialogue is really helpful, I think. When um, a meeting is wrapping up, instead of saying like, okay, any questions, which is is asking if there's questions, but feels a little bit like, let's keep moving on. Instead, take a pause and say like, what are we missing? What haven't we thought about? What haven't we talked about? What isn't sitting right in this with other people? Like asking specific questions helps people. You could say like, Jessica, what are your thoughts? about like what we've just discussed do you think that that makes sense do you see any issues with the way that we're approaching this is, is really helpful and it, it kind of like invites dialogue instead of like shutting it out
0: yeah and it also sounds like it invites those perspectives to be heard in a room where maybe they aren't yeah. like the dominant perspective um like, i
2: was once in a i guess a pitch um and we were like everyone's reading all these scripts and someone had like written a with um drag queens and everyone was just kind of like okay and like but i'm looking around the room and like i'm not a a drag queen but i'm like a member of the lgbtq community and i was like so i'm looking at it through like a lens where i'm like how does this come across to me like is is this performative is this are they is this script doing it just to be cool is this like capitalizing on you know and co-opting like the drag you know movement for capitalism like I, I was really putting it through all these lens cuz that's how i view things and, mm-hmm. and no one like asked anyone in the room about it they were just like oh it's funny and then like because i'm outspoken i raised my hand and i was just like hey like this is problematic to me for x y and z and everyone's kind of like looking at me like oh
3: man like what a buzzkill <laughs> <You know? laughs>
2: but you know and it's and it's a tricky it's like twofold cuz like i don't want someone to turn to me and be like well you're gay like what do you think Cause that's also putting like a lot of pressure on me and singling me out. But I, I did keep thinking, well, if I wasn't in the room, this might have just gone forward and it, it was problematic the way that it had been written. Mm-hmm. That's like really, I mean, that's the value of like really having people in the room that don't think like you do. One of the biggest barriers I think that we deal with agencies so typically are looking for like culture fits, mm-hmm. but the culture is like white men. So,
3: mm-hmm. you
2: know, obviously that's, what's going to be the best culture fit. And so it feels it's hard to hire outside of that because maybe that's not a great culture fit, but I think there's a lot of discussion now about like, well, you don't want a great culture fit. You want someone that's going to disrupt your culture because it's going to help you think about things differently you want a lot of different people in the room, And I think one of the other things about maybe having not the like de facto identity of like, you know, I'm I'm not a white man, um, opened me up a little bit more to the fact that like, there are um, different shared experiences, uh, or different experiences that people are living. So like, I'm quick to say, like, if I'm on something, and it's we're targeting a different racial background like i just straight up and like i don't i'm not qualified to speak about this like i don't i think sometimes it might feel easier for other people to just like make a guess and i'm like i'm not qualified to speak on behalf of this community i need either to work with someone who is or i need like a lot of like i need to run all my work through someone is this hitting the right tone is there anything I don't know? You know, it's very easy for me to just kind of say like, hey, I don't know.
0: Absolutely. It's, you know, it's also probably intimidating for a lot of people who are coming into advertising to say like, I don't know, because so much is thrown at you and you're kind of expected to just roll with the punches no matter what it is. Even if, you know, you're uncomfortable talking about like a topic or viewpoint that is not your own.
2: Yeah. And I mean, I think like, that's the danger of I mean, we, that's how you wind up with like Kendall Jenner Pepsi ad is like, <laughs>
3: yeah. that was not,
2: you know, in house. And it's probably a bunch of like, like minded people sitting at a table being like, this is great, you know, and you got to like gut check some of this stuff. With some someone outside,
1: it seems like the agencies are really marketing themselves as like very diverse and very open and they're almost competing with each other for how creatively diverse that they are, right So in your experience, have you seen the agencies actually making changes from within?
2: Um, I think yeah, like in the summer of 2020 all of a sudden like every agency was like in the wake of George Floyd all of a sudden, like, agencies were like, oh, shit, we have to care about this now. (laughs) Um, um, And so I think for the most part, a lot of them, you know, kind of, like, just talked a big game about, you know, here's what we're doing. A lot of them, it kind of fizzled out and, like, nothing happened with it. But we saw, like, some other agencies with some good initiatives. There was one, it was basically, like, asking agencies to commit to, like, 13% of their leadership being um, people of color some of the big agencies did like kind of follow through with it, but a lot of them weren't able to do that. And to me, I was like, that is just atrocious. I, you know, I ran the numbers at some of the agencies. I'm like, we're talking about like three or four people here. Like you can't hire three or four black people into your leadership. That's not a lot. You know, I've also seen recruiters say, well, we just can't find any," And I'm like, well, where are you looking? And where they're looking uh, is, like DCU Brand Center, uh, Creative Circus, uh, Miami Ad School, all schools that are a fortune um, and require you to be of like a certain, you know, economic status to be able to go to these schools. Yeah, You'll hear like recruiters will say, oh, I don't look at like where they, you know, went to school or who they are. I don't look at race. like I don't see color. I just look at the best books." And it's like, well, the best, me highly subjective because it's a couple things how are we determining what the best book is and what lens are we looking at that through are we looking at that through like a white male lens are we looking at it through well what whose book has the best production value to it because you know if you're like a writer you can develop you can show as we know because this is what we do in bookshop is you can show a great idea with a marker comp with thick
3: figures. Yeah,
2: If what we say we're looking for are great thinkers, you know, it shouldn't be so dependent on
3: this super
2: polished book. I think a lot of times people are looking for these really polished, professional looking books. And then I kind of want to say like, but then you're going to hire them and they're going to work on banner ads. You know, like why do we have, why do we expect students to have these super professional looking books when you know you're not throwing them, like, on Super Bowl spots right away. You need someone that's going to, like, do junior-level grunt work. That's what, like, happens at all agencies. And so I think that's, like, a really big issue. Um, I think that's one of the biggest barriers. But I will say, I do think things are getting better depending on where you work. In 2016, I had an intern one day, I remember, tell me that, I think we were talking about how we hate when people in a meeting will say like well ask the girls like we're not girls like we're we're grown women and this intern said to me like well and actually I'm not a woman at the time I I think they maybe consider themselves to be non-binary or something Uh, and I remember thinking like oh fuck like good luck because like no one (laughs) is gonna respect that at all I was like I could not imagine anyone in my agency like using they them pronouns or like respecting that at all. I was like that. And I remember at the time thinking like, I don't even know like what would happen if someone were to like transition here. Like I couldn't see how that would work at all. Now I'm working somewhere where there is someone who is at non-binary and does use they them pronouns. And I was in a meeting the other day and this person was not in the meeting. And this is how I, I really was like, wow, this is progress. This person was not in the meeting, and, but we were discussing them because of their role in the project. And every time someone discussed them, they said they them, and they weren't even in the room. That to me was like some serious progress. And it, it just like wasn't discussed. It was just like, this is who this person is. This is how we talk about them. Not an issue. And I was really encouraged by that. I thought like, that's great. That means that like we're getting somewhere you
0: know yeah the culture change is happening that's awesome it is
1: awesome
0: yeah you had touched a little bit on like people's books and the way that they're perceived in agencies do you have any advice for students if they have if they're really passionate about a part of their identity do you feel like there's any advice you could give those people for either how to like weave it into like the bio in their book or maybe how to showcase like a side passion project for something that they do
2: I try to always, like, I think I have it on my resume somewhere that, like, I'm good with LGBTQ plus issues. That's a marketable skill that I have. So many of these agencies are, when it comes to, like, people of color in the creative department, are lacking voices and don't have people in their creative department where they can say like, Hey, I am a member of this community. And like, you can basically do free research with me. Mm -hmm. I I think that like, all of those things about you that maybe make you different are marketable. And I think, yeah, anytime you can showcase anything like that in a book, sadly, in this like world of capitalism, it's like, how can we take these skills and these parts of our identity and like capitalize on them and, you know, show that they have like, actual monetary value to these agencies yeah because they're set up to be a business here's like a good business reason why you should hire me you're gonna have a more diverse point of view in the room you're gonna make less terrible fuck up you're gonna have a more authentic voice your audience knows when someone is speaking to them in an inauthentic manner
1: well i i think that's Mm -hmm. all the time we have for this episode thank you again for joining us
2: Wait, can I tell you guys one more story before we go?
0: Please. Sure.
2: I think I like thought it was gonna come up with one of the questions and I was like really excited to tell this story, but I I don't I it either did and I didn't remember, but this is a story that stayed with me and is has really like shaped uh, the way that I think about things. And I was working on a client that was really difficult. I was doing a presentation to the client over the phone, which is already awkward, and I had like written some line i think it's for a banner it was an airline it was about in texas in in houston specifically there's two airports there's one called houston hobby and then there's like george bush international or whatever but this airline flies out of houston hobby and so i'd written some line about like don't go to george bush like we're in houston hobby and the line was don't beat around the bush redeem your point (laughs) out of houston hobby or something whatever Not going to camp right? On this line. But (laughs) the client like stopped the presentation. They like had had us on mute, you know, like they always do. And they unmuted themselves and went, sorry, we just need to interrupt you. We love that line, like loved it. And I was like, Oh, this is so great. Like, I'm a junior. They love this line. I liked it. So I was like, and they were like, That is even if we can't use it for this, we've got to use it somewhere else. Oh my like say you know, this is a brand that loves Tons. um and so that was great so I'm feeling good about that because they like I think I was like the only person they did that to. and so then mm-hmm. like the meeting's over and everyone's like in the room like yeah oh great job Jeff like blah, blah 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 and this creative director on the account comes over to me and in a very like not not trying to like put me down but in a joking way kind of like slaps me on the back and says Well, leave it to the lesbian to write the line about Bush in front of a room of, like, at least 20 people. And I was so flabbergasted at the time. It took me so many days and, honestly, like, years still, I think about this all the time, to just, like, process all of the layers of, like, what happened there. And I think that he was trying to be, like, yeah, like, I'm cool, like, that's, I'm, you're gay, like, I can make this joke with you, we're on this level, but, and I never really said anything to him about it, and I never went to HR, I just decided, like, I had to swallow it, because I just was like, I don't really know where that goes, if I make a big deal about this, but that's exactly the kind of thing you never want to do, because I was like, the more and more that I've, like, processed that, like, weird small moment, I was like, you just, I was just at like a good moment here. I've just like performed well. And you have now not only like weirdly humiliated me, but like also like cut me, like tried to insinuate in a weird way that like I wrote this line because of who I'm married to. Like, you know, it doesn't make any sense. And it, I felt so degraded by it. And instead of just saying like, great job, you like used my like identity as a weapon against me in a way. And it's just one of these moments that like, I think I I wouldn't call that a microaggression uh, microaggression because it was so overt, but it it kind of was a microaggression in the way that they, it was well-meaning. It's not like he, it's not like I was like sexually assaulted or something, you know, or like called like a a slur or something like it was joking it was jovial it was like friendly feeling but it it also made me feel like extremely like othered you know um instead of like i was one of the team it was and, and i think probably looking back what had happened is like there were maybe like his own insecurities about like his role in the account or whatever and just was a way to make sure that like i knew my place But yeah, that's a story that stayed with me forever because I often wish, in fact, this person then later left the company and I really thought for a long time, I was like, I want to go to HR now, now that they're gone, I want to go to HR and I want to tell them about it and be like, what would have happened if I come to you with this information when they worked there? Because I wanted to like get the full rundown. And I also was like, it felt like I was dishonoring myself to not tell that story to anyone,
3: Mm.
2: but it's funny how, like, that is That is just, like, a 10-second thing that happened to me in, like, either 2016 or 2017. And I think about it all the time. I still think about it all the time. And I still know this person. And I also see them, like, here and there or, like, online. And, like, I don't talk about that with them because, like, I, I don't want to get into it. But, you know, uh, it's, that's, these are the these are the kinds of things that, like, people of, you know, minority identities sometimes experience at work that, like, I don't know that everyone's, like, aware of. And, you know, they stick with us for, like, a long, a long time. And so I think, you know, what would have been great is if, like, one of you had been in the room at the time and had said to this person, like, whoa! Like, what the fuck did you just say? You know? Like, why would you say that? You know, that's what I wish had happened. I wish that some other person had stood up for me and said, like, that is not okay! You know? Like, because instead it's on me and, like, if I do something now, all of a sudden I'm overreacting. So I think that would maybe be the thing that I would like leave people with, you know, if, if you're at all in any kind of position of power, whether that be in terms of your status of, or your, your rank or your identity or anything, you know, just you have your eyes open and if you see something happening you know someone else at work or you see someone being marginalized or othered or spoken to in a way that you don't think is okay you know you can always ask that person are you okay with what's happening right now like because if someone had said to me are you okay with that I would have said no I'm not okay with that but nobody asked me that you know so I think it is about trying to use your whatever privilege you may have to look out for other people. And you don't want to be like, you don't want to do like a, like a Will Smith and take everything in your own hands and go up to people and say like, Hey, this isn't okay. What you did, you know, because maybe that person does want to stick up for themselves, but you know, ask the person. Are you okay with what just happened? Like, this seems weird to me. Are you all right? Do you need any help? No, you don't need any help. Cool. You got it. Great. But like, if you need anything, like I'm, I'm here because I think a lot of times people feel like, am I crazy? Like, am I, did this just happen or am I insane? You know,
3: yeah. that was
2: another thing I went through after that happened to me was I was like, am I overthinking this? Am I making this a bigger deal than it is? You know, because I know other people heard it and no one said anything, you know? So I'm like, so maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm making too big of a deal of it, but those other people don't live my reality. So it's, I think always like asking other people, you know, how can I support you?
0: Yeah. Well, thank y'all. you for telling that story. I mean, it's it sounds like it was a lot in the moment, and it has been a lot ever since, you know, you've, like, thought about it and molded over in your head.
2: Yeah, And I'm lucky, like, <clears> that's kind of the worst thing. That's, that's kind of the worst story I have.
0: Mm-hmm. But honestly, that advice about being an ally and being able to go up to people after something like that happens, no matter who you are, and just saying, like, hey, how are you feeling? Like, was that okay? Is better advice than we could have asked for on this episode. So thank you for sharing that. Yes. Thank you.
3: Yeah.
2: I've been, I've been walking around with that story, waiting for the right, waiting for the right time to air. it, And I just didn't know it would be on your podcast. So.
0: It's ad tempted. (laughs) I mean, we're, we're honored that you chose us to share your, share your insights with.
1: Well, that's going to do it for this episode of ad tempted. Be sure to check out our website and social handles for more advice and ads for things that don't need them.
0: And thanks again to our special guest, Jess.
2: Thank you, guys.